Hey there, I'm Eric J. Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hi, everybody. I am Eric J. Olson, your host for this live episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. On this podcast, we interview America's top managing partners to find out how they're running their firms, how they're growing their firms, and what they're doing to keep their case pipeline full. And today I have with me Susan Butler. Hi, Susan. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Another Virginian. I love it when Virginians come on. I'm in Virginia Beach and you are in? And Fairfax, Virginia, uh, Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia, my old stomping grass. Let me tell the audience a little bit about you. Susan Butler is a divorce lawyer and mediator and is the managing partner of Sean Bach. The firm focuses exclusively on family law, including divorce, custody, support, mediation, and estate planning. She is a member of AAML, which is American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, IAFL, International Academy of Family Lawyers, and is a CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, and a certified mediator. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> she serves on the AAML Mediation and Amicus Committees and is co-chair of the Virginia State Bar Law School Professionalism course. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, quite accomplished. Yeah, you're, you're a part of a lot of groups. I would imagine that helps not only with things like continuing to learn about the, the, the practice of law, but also uh, referrals. Why not? Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your law firm? Sure. Uh, I started practicing in Virginia in 1996. Uh, I first practiced in Connecticut and then came down here. I am a member of the Virginia, well, Connecticut, Virginia, DC, and Maryland bars, although at this point I really practice only in Virginia. My firm has 13 attorneys. We recently acquired a, an estate planning firm uh, it, during the past year, and that has been a fantastic addition for us. Um, there's a lot of cross-pollination between the practice uh, groups, and it has really been a, a fantastic addition. That's really great. So I, what was that like, the acquisition and, and then merging it to, I'm sure that a, a lot of that work went to you to, to, to make sure that it was seamless as much as possible? Well, the real ease of the situation was the group was already in our suite. They were um, subtenants in our suite. So we knew them. Uh, we, you know, we got along with them. We, you know, it's uh, sort of like living with somebody before getting married. Uh, it just, it made it a lot easier as a transition piece. And we were already referring clients back and forth between the firms. The clients of that firm knew our suite, knew our building because they had been here. So it, it actually was a lot easier than it might otherwise have been, but it, it has worked out really well. So that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank that you. is uh, not an easy thing to go through. I've gone through a merger before, but never an acquisition. So I, I would imagine the acquisition is, is probably a similar kind of situation, but certainly a, a merging of cultures and clients and uh, business philosophies. And, and it's beneficial if you have that long dating period, if you will, with right. the co-tenants, right? So I'm sure that helped a lot. Definitely. It eased it along quite a bit. Good. What, what are some different ways that you go about getting clients? So we actually have a, a pretty good data bank of how clients come to us. When, when they call in uh, the first time, we 
ask uh, the, the call takers, ask how the person got to us. When we first meet with a client, we ask the same um, out of curiosity, but also so that we can keep track. And on our website, if someone calls in directly from the website, there's a different phone number. So we can actually track that they've come from that particular source. But that's not always the only source. There's a lot of um, clients who come to us through multiple channels, and then they just happen to call from the website. You know, picking a divorce attorney is like picking a doctor, but it's a very personal, you know, situation and relationship. So very often the referrals are from family, friends, past clients, um, other attorneys, um, sometimes even judges and retired judges and, and courthouse clerks. So they, they come from a variety of sources, but very often it's multiple ways. You know, somebody hears our ad or sees our ad, and then they happen to be talking to a friend whose sister used us, and then they go to the website. So it's often multiple touches before they finally call. That's a great point. And yeah, I'd, I'd like to, to dig into that a little bit because you know, we hear about this all the time, like different lead sources, which is what we call it in digital marketing, right? And there's always a debate, should it be a, the first point of, of the lead source? Like, wh where do you attribute the lead? Is it from the very first time they find out about you? Is it the last time? Is it the accumulation? You could debate it all day long, but in the end, you, you want to hit these prospective clients, if you will, like get, you know, get their attention from lots of different areas. Right. And the more times they hear about you, the more times uh, they come across you, the better, right? So right. if they get a referral, they may not take any action. But if right. they see your ad and then they, they start to notice you like, you know, on, on social media, you know, it's like ding, ding, ding. And then, you know, at some point, and it depends on, on the person and maybe like their case, but at some point they'll reach out to you. Right. right. But, yeah. but if you, if you just rely on one way of getting clients, it's usually not going to be as effective as being omnipresent. Is that what you found as well? Absolutely. I think it sort of validates somebody's choice, right? If they're hearing it from multiple places, you know, believe it or not, one of the the metrics we track is Yelp reviews. People actually pick lawyers based on Yelp reviews, which is mind boggling to yeah. somebody old like me, but you know, it, it, you can't ignore that. So, it, but it's validation of someone's choice to hear your name from multiple sources, to have those sort of multiple touches. It's interesting you brought up Yelp. We got called by a Yelp representative recently, and I, I said, "Well, I don't, I don't think businesses like yeah. Yelp." <laughs> but it seems like end users, you know, potential clients do. Are are you like you somehow uh, advertising on Yelp? No, but we we do ask clients to post reviews. You know, when case is finished, if someone is you know happy with the result, we ask them directly. You know, if you're you know, have something nice to say, please post on, you know, Google, Yelp, wherever. And we give them in the, the email, you know, the, the link, you know, go Smart. here and people are nice enough to do it. And it seems to help. Smart. I, I would say smart on two points. And, and so for any managing partner that's listening, like th this is definitely a, something that I would recommend exactly what Susan's doing. Number one, ask for reviews. And then number two, make it easy, right? right. Give them hyperlinks. So they, all they have to do is just click and write, and it could be as quick as 15 seconds. I right, just click the link and you're probably already logged into a place like Google or Facebook, write the review done. Yeah. So you got, you got to make it easy. And it's interesting that you, you do that because a lot of uh, managing partners, they know that referrals are a big source of business, but they don't actually have a program 
or you know some mechanism for getting more of those referrals and and reviews and ratings go hand in hand with referrals is that is that an automated system that you have or is it is it more like okay you attorney knows or the paralegal knows the case is done now it's time yes and then we just ask the each attorney as cases close and you do your closing letter you know please send the you know this block of text with the the ask personalize it but you have to ask uh, and most clients are you know happy to be done with their divorce but or you know whatever the situation is but you have to ask and most clients will will be nice enough to do it if you don't ask you won't receive right yeah that's really interesting that you have that that process at the tail end of the case what about in the beginning when someone finally reaches out to you after seeing you or hearing about you is there like some sort of a formalized nurturing process that you have between when they contact you and when they become a client? So generally people will call in and uh, talk to one of our call takers uh, who would be, you know, a paralegal, a legal assistant, or uh, our office manager. We'll take that initial call. We'll do the conflict check, uh, ask how they came to us, and then set the appointment. Most people want to come in, you know, within the week, sometimes a little further out, but in that that interim period, a lot of people will go to our website. We'll look at the information we have on there, you know, frequently asked questions that help them in the process. It's more helpful if they do that than if they Google, you know, California law and come in with expectations that aren't realistic. But then generally, and we keep track of, you know, sort of the, the rate of someone comes in, do they retain most people who come in retain at that first meeting or within a couple of days. Um, and we keep track of, you know, all the attorneys, what's their rate of retention? You know, how many people, you know, come in the door and then actually, you know, sign a retainer agreement. And for most of our attorneys, it's, you know, above 80 to 90% of people wow. in the door and they, they are happy with, with the meeting and they, they retain. That's quite impressive. That's a very high ratio. Uh, it sounds like uh, certainly by the time they reach out and contact you, they've done the research, they're right. ready. Do you feel like they know a lot about your firm at that point? Like what what are the final things they need to know? Or is it just a matter of just coming in and meeting the person, meeting the attorney? I think, well, it's a very, it's very personal. As I said earlier, I, I, people have to have that comfort level, you know, for a good year, year and a half, we were doing those meetings by you know, go to meeting or Zoom, but people want to see you face to face, even if it's by video, uh, because they want to have that comfort level. By the time they've gotten here, they have some familiarity with who we are. Most people have looked at our bios on our website, have done some, you know, digging around and asking questions, but most people will come in with a list of questions, a, a literal, you know, notepad of questions that they want to ask. That are because every case is so fact specific. You know, no two families are the same. No, you know, no set of assets. No child custody issue is the same. They have very specific questions when they come in, and so having that interaction, I think, is very helpful, and I think helps put people at ease. But, you know, very frequently people will leave saying, "Oh, I feel better now that I've talked to you. I feel better." Yeah. Just having that information is helpful. Absolutely. Well, there, there's a, a a path. They know that they have someone qualified who can help them this area of confusion in their life yeah, i would imagine it's a significant relief when people uh, meet with you for the first time so you you had a, an acquisition this year and was it may 
Right. So, so not that long ago, we're recording this November 1st. So only a few months. Are you planning on uh, future growth? And if so, what, what are those plans? So one uh, area that we are looking at is related to the estate planning group. They don't, in that particular group right now, they don't do a whole lot of probate litigation. And the rest of our office, we're litigators. You know, we, we settle cases, we mediate cases, but we're litigators. And so we have one of our partners from the family group is now working with the estate planning group. And she had a particular interest in estate planning. So she is moving into that group and kind of straddling the two, but she's a litigator. So I, I foresee, you know, us developing estate and probate litigation as a, a portion of that group. And so that's an exciting, uh, you know, kind of area to branch into. I don't personally know the difference between estate litigation and probate litigation. How, how are those two separate? Well, I'm probably not the best person to ask <laughs> But there are, you know, probate litigation would be when, when the estate is going through, you know, through probate after the person has yeah. died, what, uh, what, happens with the person's assets and you have, you know, family fights, just like you do in a divorce in the estate portion, we have people who are doing things like special needs, trusts, you know, more planning Got it. Uh, and there yeah. can be litigation related to that. But the, the back end of it is the probate litigation. Okay. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, understand. Probably okay. Completely messed that up. So um, my, my partner will straighten me out when we're done. <laughs> Well, it sounds, sounded great to me. So okay. <laughs> no, that's great. When, when it comes to your marketing, what is one thing that is working well for you these days? So I would say, um, based on our, the charts that we look at, definitely, um, direct referrals are big and website, Google, Yelp, the various, um, online channels, but we actually still do some print advertising. Uh, you probably remember from your days up here, Washingtonian magazine, oh, yeah. uh, now a Northern Virginia magazine. They're kind of the lifestyle magazines, restaurant reviews. They publish lists of top lawyers. Um, we advertise in those print magazines, uh, people, people still read them. So that that's one thing that's maybe a little more old school. We're not doing, you know, yellow pages anymore, but we do still do some print advertising and, and it seems to work. I agree. I, I think it's a good tactic and I, I, I don't think it's something that should be ignored. So like we're a digital marketing agency. That's all we do is digital, but I, I have right in front of me the the Virginia lawyers weekly. Yeah. So we, you know, once a week printing that gets mailed to me and we run an ad in there. So even we believe to a certain extent that print and, you know, kind of the traditional mechanisms work, especially in this day and age when everything is online, right? It, and like all hand, like all handwrite cards yep. and, and that makes an impact. It's sure it's a pain, but, but how, when was the last time that you got a handwritten card, right? Most people don't get handwritten cards except for maybe their birthday. So it, it makes an impact. So I, I think these traditional kind of offline mechanisms they have a place in this world still, and it's the icing on the cake is to be different. So I, I think that's great what you're doing. Well, and I, I am familiar with the magazine. I know it's a little more, um, uh, the demographics are probably skew a little bit higher when it comes to like right. uh, salaries and things like that. Probably right. your clientele, right? Right. And actually, you, you mentioned thank you note writing. We had printed on nice cardstock, just a flat um, note with our you know logo and names on the back and white space on the front. And after 
we have a referral from someone, we write a handwritten note and yeah. send it out in you know old-fashioned mail um, to all of our referral sources. Our receptionist keeps a chart of where the referrals came from, and we ask the attorneys, you know, each month send out those notes because it, it does make an impact because nobody gets handwritten mail anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that is something we do. Good for you. And then conversely, what is something that hasn't exactly worked for you when it comes to your marketing? Something you maybe tried and then recently said, all right, we're not doing this anymore or cut back on. Pay-per-click. We have tried a number of times and everybody who you know tries to sell us on it says, oh, we can track it and this and that. And we have really not seen any noticeable results from that. So we, we actually have stopped doing that. Yeah. You know, I'm hearing that from a lot of the managing partners that we interview. We're seeing it with our clients. Um, I do think that just like with uh, the Washingtonian magazine or like, you know, the, the, the print periodicals, there's, there's a place for it. There's a reason for it, but it can't be the only thing that you rely on because it's just not, it doesn't have the return on investment like it used to. Right. So we were actually debating it internally and I did a little bit of research and 2014 that click on as was about 6%. 2020, it dropped to 3%. So 3% are clicking on ads, even though that's the top of your Google search results, right? 97% are, are, are skipping over that. And it, it makes you, you know, kind of question, well, why? Why is that? And, uh, and we believe here that it's, it's a trust factor. People trust what Google says are the actual results because that's crowdsourced, if you will, from the internet and people versus someone just plunking on a credit card to get that click. Right. And we can tell from our um, our website metrics who comes to us through an organic search, who comes to us through a, you know, a, a different channel. And 70 to 80% of our website hits are through organic searches. So that that's something that we're also keeping track of. Good for you. Well, how do you figure that out? What, what kind of software are you using for that? It actually comes from our web host company. Okay. They, they are pretty good at giving us that information. Gotcha. All right. looks like the lights went off in your studio. I think I didn't <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> I got one more question for you. Sure. If someone wants to pick your brain, has a question for you, maybe has a case for you. What is a good way for them to reach out to you? Uh, email is probably fastest. It's sbutler at Sean, S-H-O-U-N.com or by telephone 703-222-3333. All right. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you. All right, everybody. If you would like to check out more episodes like this, you can go to arraylaw.com slash podcast. We have over 150 interviews organized by practice area and by state. And if you are looking for digital marketing for your law firm, please consider my firm, which is Array Digital. We are at arraylaw.com. We provide a website design, search engine optimization, online ads, and social media. Susan, thanks so much. Thank you.